Welcome to the Influential Personal Brand Podcast. This is the place where you'll learn cutting-edge personal brand strategies from today's most recognizable influencers. We're going to teach you how to build a rock-solid reputation and then how to turn that reputation into revenue. I'm your lead host, Rory Vaden, co-founder of Brand Builders Group, Hall of Fame speaker, and New York Times bestselling author of Take the Stairs. I love when I get to introduce you to some of my long lifetime or career long friends, and that's what we get to do today with Shep Hyken. Shep is one of those people who is amazing, and he truly is out there as a leader in his niche, in his vertical, in this entire industry. And a lot of people say they're speakers, and I know if they're really speakers by whether or not I speak on the same stages with them, if I lose events to them, if I say, who did you have last year? And Shep is one of those guys where it's like, oh yeah, we've had Shep, we've had him, we loved him, he's here next year, da-da-da-da-da. So he is a in the Professional Speaking Hall of Fame. He is also a New York Times and Wall Street Journal bestselling author. He is a customer service and customer experience expert. He's the author of several books, Moments of Magic, The Loyal Customer, The Cult of the Customer, several others. And uh, anyways, we're just going to share some more stories about How do you actually build a real speaking career? How do you actually write and sell books? And then also, I think, how do we create a better customer experience as speakers, authors, coaches, financial advisors, small business owners, let's call it, for our customers? So uh, anyway, Shep, welcome to the show, man. Hey, man. It is so great to be here, Rory. You're awesome. I've known you for years. Many, many years. I was a kid. I was like early 20s. You were in the youth program when I first <laughs> met you. <laughs> no, you were right. I was a volunteer though. I was. I think the first year I met you, I was the chair of the youth program because Eric Chester was like, you know, leading the thing or somehow I got volunteered through it. But uh, anyways, man, yeah, it's it's great. So, and I would love to hear about your start a little bit. I think that would be helpful. I, you know, people hear these terms, New York Times bestselling author, Hall of Fame speaker, right? And it's like, well, happens that overnight. Feels, it happens overnight, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. It takes 20 years for it to happen overnight, but it happens, you know, that's what they say. How did you get started? Like, how did you get your first gigs? Like, what did you charge? And, you know, like in the very beginning, how did it come together? I'm going to tell you everything. Nothing will be held back. I'm going to speak 100% from experience, no opinion. Uh, I want to give you data and information. And if it works for you, fine or not fine if it doesn't. But it worked for me. Or if it didn't work for me, I'll tell you that as well. So I've been doing this for quite a while. I don't have gray hair that you can see. But 1983 was the year that I started my business, less than a year out of college. And what had happened is go back, gosh, 10 years, even before I graduated college, I was about 12. I started a birthday party magic show business. And from there, I grew into working in nightclubs and eventually corporate events and other types of private parties, maybe for adult parties. But the point is, is I had a background in performing. Now, all that meant is when I saw a couple of motivational speakers shortly, like I say, less than a year out of college, I thought I could do that. I, I, I been on stage before. I I think I could do that. Now I just have something, I have to write about something and (laughs) I don't know what it's going to be yet. So understand that my parents taught me some great customer service skills when I was younger, like saying thank you, calling people up and asking them how they like the show and getting specific feedback. 
to make the show better. And I had no idea that was all about customer appreciation, process improvement, getting feedback, but that, those are tenants of customer service. So I saw Zig Ziglar and Tom Hopkins, and we all may, I hope most of us know who they are. Zig since passed away, but Tom's actually out there still kicking. And I bought two items that night. I bought a set of audio cassette tapes and some nice. of the audience is too young to know what that is. <laughs> there were eight of them. It was called See with the Top. It was total motivation goal setting. I also bought a book, How to Master the Art of Selling. And I believe it's still available today. And I read that book in about three days and I listened to those tapes over and over again over the next maybe three, four, five days, I was immersing myself in Zig Ziglar and Tom Hopkins. And I went to the bookstore and I said, what am I interested in? I bought like three or four books and the entire, the entire bookstore business section was maybe six feet. I mean, it's one shelf. That was it. There wasn't racks and racks of books. And I was drawn to the customer service experience books. So that's how I decided I wanted to do this. And that's how I kind of chose my topic. And Church you're like 22. Yeah. I was actually 22 when I saw them. I might, I did, had just turned 23 when I started my business. And when I graduated college, I was asked to go to work for the family business, which they own gas stations. And they, they own a, I mean, it was a small chain of stations. So it was kind of a cool job. And I would go from station to station, a little dirty, getting, doing audits, going out and, you know, checking the tanks and all that with the meter stick. Anyway, um, they, that was in June when I started full-time. And in September, they said, hey, we're selling the company. <laughs> and then I went, what am I supposed to do now? So I stayed with it for a short time as they wound some things down, but that was it. I mean, a few months later, I'm, I'm without a job, but that's okay. I mean, I never really thought anything of it. I just thought this is all part of life and this is what you have to do. So when I went to the bookstore, I'm attracted to like In Search of Excellence from Tom Peters and I believe Waterman is his name. And then I saw a couple of books by Ron Zemke and Carl Albrecht on customer service. So I bought these books, read them. I said, this is it. But how am I going to get clients? And this is, to your point, this is how I really got started. I went to the bookstore, I mean, to the magazine store, and I bought every magazine that was a business magazine. You know, there weren't that many. I can't remember what they were, Business Week, whatever they were. If they had a full page ad, I thought, yeah, they're big enough to be selling something. They probably got a sales force then maybe they need a speaker. And always the phone number was never the right phone number. It was like a call center. Oh. But I went to the library. There was no internet back then, remember? You wouldn't remember. You weren't even born back then, were you? I was born in 82, so I was just just, just on the You're scene, one year man. old, and I started my business. <laughs> I've been in business almost as long as you are old. That's right. That's right. <laughs> anyway... I tore out all the full page ads. I went to the library and they had these directories. Some of them were in microfiche. Some of them were actually in big volumes of books that I can open up and find out who the current president, you know, executive VP of marketing, all the salespeople, anybody I needed. So they were advertising to get clients, but you looked at it as like they're advertising for them to become right, a client exactly. of yours. I love this. So you look them up and you're like, this company must have yeah. some money. And so you look up their contact information. Every, and you could see their sales. You, and, you know, so I went to these directories and I made this list. I called it the Target 100. And I made yeah. a list of 100 companies. And I said, uh, I, and it, by the way, it took me month and a half to go through because even though I said I'm going to make 20 calls a day you might only reach two or three people and there was voicemail there was no email it was just and I put everything in little file cards and I had my little tickler file and yeah CRM just, uh, CRM yeah, baby my, like yeah 
So there wasn't a, such a thing as CRM. Now I did get my first computer. One of my clients was Epson, E-P-S-O-N. They make yeah. printers, printers. But they also made computers. And I the guy wanted me to do a regional sales meeting. So I went and did the meeting in exchange for expenses and a computer. And my first database was floppy disks. All of the uh, A's were on this disk. The B's were on this disk. <laughs> so wow. This, yeah. So you just called these people up and you said, hey, I'm a speaker. And you just said, I'm a speaker. I speak on customer experience. And and yep. and then you just, and then they said, what's your fee? And you just gave them some number and that's how you started. Yep. And I don't mind, you know, I share, I would tell you, I would share my number. It yep. was $500 for yep. a speech. And my goal was in 1983, remember, I'm only 22, just turning 23. If at the end of the year, so this is about, I would say the official start date of my business was, I mean, I ramped up a little bit. I had everything ready to go, but August 1st was doors open. Yeah. <laughs> and so for the next five months, my goal was to get at least two speeches. That would be $1,000 a month. I remember my living expenses with apartment and utilities, room and board was about 11 or 1200 bucks a month. I had some money in the bank, not a lot. I said, but if I can make a thousand a month, I can make it through this year. If I can make 2000 a month by next year, I'm in the profit zone. And I wanted to double every year. So I learned this from Zig. I created a 10 year plan from age 23 to age 32. Okay. Oh, okay. And I hit that plan at around age, I'm going to say right around age 30 or so. I hit my mark. So I did so like five or six years. Yeah. Well, maybe more like eight, eight years, okay. but it took eight years to where I'm make. So I had a uh, thousand, 2000, 4,000. So 4,000 uh, and then 8,000. And so it's like, then I got a hundred thousand gross, then a hundred thousand net. And then eventually my goal was a quarter of a million a year in income. And then when I hit that, I had to reset my goals. So that took me to age uh, just under age 40. So now I had a goal for my next decade of my life. And by the time I hit age 40, my goals were starting to change from 100% financial to lifestyle mixed with financial. I even had my wife tell me one day, Shep, you're doing really well. You're working so hard. You're never home. And one day you're going to come home and nobody's going to be here. The mm -hmm. house will be empty. There will be no furniture and you will be on your own. And that was a big eye-opening, you know, whoa, I need to get some balance in my life because I was churning and burning. Part I was burning was my personal life. And all of this just comes from basically finding people that have meetings, contacting them, letting them know that you're available to speak on X topic, yep. which has not changed. Like it has oh. not changed in 50 years. It's, it's, it's the same thing. Now, were you doing some speeches for free early on? $500, it's almost for free. <laughs> yeah. But I would do anything. I, would I mean, it would be considered anywhere. that today, but back then, I mean, 500 bucks was still like, Right, you know. $500 was probably like making 1,200 or 1,500. Yeah, right? I mean, it's still something, yeah. Yeah, and so the short answer is yes, I would do free. So between 1983 and 1988, I was really rogue on my own, no support. Nobody told me what to do about anything. I had found Dottie Walters, which is a name from the past, which you may or may not know. She was very involved in the National Speakers Association. She had a speakers bureau and she had a directory of other speaker bureaus. And somehow or another, I came across her publication. So I bought her book. And so I was learning about the industry, but I was really out on my own. But in 88, I, I joined the National Speakers Association. This is definitely a plug for NSA, National Speakers Association, in that even if you're a coach, a consultant, 
even an accountant or a lawyer, if you go with the idea that all you're going to do is learn how speakers market themselves, it's the exact same way that every, what I would call entrepreneurial, and for lack of a better term, I'll call it a practice type of business, Mm -hmm. would market themselves. We talk about this a lot that both whether you're, because a lot of our clients are financial advisors, they are accountants, they're lawyers, they're chiropractors, they're whatever, is that, and and as a speaker, because our story about how we started would be very similar. We called out of the phone book, the Yellow Pages phone book, and, and we went and spoke for free. But mm-hmm. even to this day, the fastest way to take, we tell we say to clients, the fastest way to go from being a stranger to a lifelong fan is a one hour presentation. And so if you just go deliver, I mean, in financial services, they call this the like dinner seminars. They've been doing that for decades. It still works. It it does. And you know what? If so over the years, a transition from me making those calls to my assistant, making most of those calls, doing nothing. The only people I would talk to is if it was set up in advance as an appointment to talk to someone, not because I'm a, it's hard to call not because say, you're a prima donna, even though you are. But that's not why you did right, it that way. It's not because it's. Because I'm the it's same way, right? It's positioning. You, you know, the guy who's groveling for money is probably not the expert you want to hire. Well, and, and it saves you time. Did. Yeah, and and you know, it was it was efficient. By the way, in the beginning, when I didn't have an assistant, I just doing this on my own. I would be really really busy, and then nothing. So what did I do right. during that nothing time? I would get back on the phone and smile and dial. And then I get really busy again. And then when that wore off, because I couldn't make mm-hmm. phone calls, you know, it was really hard to, to stay and do calls from on the road compared to what you do today. You can't, you, we didn't have a cell phone back then. So anyway, what happened over time is yes, I transitioned to my assistant making most of those calls today. It's a little different. I mean, my business today is tons of word of mouth. I don't consider myself just a speaker. If you ask me on the airplane what I do for a living, I'm not going to say uh, I'm a professional speaker. Who you know, I, I, but we can get. What that, would you say? I well, I would ask you a question. Have you ever uh, walked away from a business or gotten off the phone and you thought, "Wow, that was an incredible experience. That was amazing. Those people are just unbelievable." And of course, you're going to say, "Yeah." I go, "Well, that's what I help my clients achieve," mm. and it begs for, Love "Well, that. how do you do that?" And I said, well, I actually write books, hundreds of articles on customer service and experience, and companies hire me either to speak at their events, industry events, corporate events, or my trainers go out and deliver training. We have online, on-demand, virtual, video-based training. You know, so then we get into the how-tos. But we want to set up like, yeah, I totally understand what that concept is before cool. I get into how I do it. But... Hi, it's AJ Vaden, and thanks for listening to the Influential Personal Brand Podcast. Did you know that the ideas we share on the show are things we actually specialize in helping you implement? If you want to raise your public profile and turn your reputation into revenue, please visit freecall.brandbuildersgroup.com to sign up for a free brand strategy call with one of our personal brand strategists. Again, that's freecall.brandbuildersgroup.com to sign up for your free call. Talk to you soon. I love that. 
of going to the average person on an airplane, if you say a speaker, they go, oh, that's cool. And they would yeah. be like, I could never hire you. I don't know anyone who needs like, but if you go this amazing customer experience and they would go, oh, you should work with my friend because they, they suck. Or you, yeah. you would like these people because they really like, you know, customer experience. That's, it that's cool. It opens up a conversation as opposed to, uh, because sometimes you, oh, I'm a professional speaker. Okay, I don't even know exactly what that is, but it sounds good, and I'm just going to start reading my book again. And by the way, I prefer if they would read their book and not. Uh -huh. I'm just I'm not All you have to do is tell them you're a pastor, or you right. sell insurance, or if you say like, uh, "Hey, I, I raise money for political foundation," then they stop there talking you to you. Just there you whoop, go, and we won't say which one. <laughs> yeah, but if we can find out who they love, then we go the opposite direction, no matter who it is. Uh -huh. So I can be conservative, I can be liberal, whatever it takes to get them to leave me alone. <laughs> so, but all kidding aside, today, I've even said it, you know, we're coming out of the pandemic, right? And mm -hmm. we need to spend more time doing the direct interaction. We need to get back in front of our clients. That's not going to happen by hoping the phone's going to ring. It's going to happen because we're emailing more. We're going on LinkedIn. We're finding people that whose titles and their companies match up with my criteria. We're asking them, hey, we're just connecting with people they think would be interested in my content. You know, Rory, you and I were talking about our annual reports that we've created from studies by looking at, you know, different mm. You know, parts of the population. Mine is all on customer service and experience. So last year we created the Achieving Customer Amazement Report and we went out and, and did a study of a thousand consumers, you know, weighted to the census of the US and we got great insights. That's what we send our potential clients. They go, wow, this is pretty interesting. Well, would you like to talk about it and how it applies to your business? No charge. I would just like to learn what you do, you learn what I do, and maybe we work together, maybe we don't. It doesn't matter, but we're all friends when it's over. LinkedIn is the new telephone. And it's great because it seems like the response, first of all, you can send out a lot more queries through LinkedIn or, or make more potential connections. And the percentage of getting responses are much higher, you know, based on the effort you put in. I might make 100 calls in a week and I'm lucky if I talk to 10 or 12 people. And I'm lucky if those 12 people, maybe one of them, maybe two, could be interested. And if I can amass a group of about 20 people, that might turn into one or two speeches of those people that are really interested. So I actually had, at one point, we tracked every number. And that's so important to track what works and what doesn't work. So as I learned from uh, going to the National Speakers Association conferences, when I make those calls, there's certain questions that I wanna ask that qualify them for me. Now I got to know my industry pretty well. So I would ask, do you hire professional speakers? And if they say, what's a professional speaker, then we know they've not paid for one. I'm right. happy to explain it to them, but I'm very quick to get off the phone because I don't want to make a two-step process in the sale. I don't want to convince them they need to spend money and then convince them it's me they need to spend it with. Mm -hmm. I just want to find out, you know, if they go, yeah, we've hired speakers. Well, tell me who you've hired. And sometimes they'll tell me, well, we've brought in our, our best customers. Well, that's not a professional speaker. But if they say, yeah, we brought in Rory Vaden, or we brought in Scott McCain or Jay Bear, all my friends. Now I know. You go, awesome. They got at least five hundred bucks exactly. if they're bringing. If they're bringing the in those guys, is. they got at least five hundred bucks. Right. So I mean, by the time I got to NSA, true story, I was charging a thousand to twelve hundred dollars a speech in nineteen eighty eight. And when I joined NSA, so you remember, I did magic as a background. I was still doing some magic shows, but I said to myself, as long as they'll pay me the same thing as it is to speak. I'm happy to do that magic show. So for $1,000, that's a great gig 
for a magician. But as my fees started to go up, not a lot of people willing to pay a thousand bucks for a magic show. So I, mm -hmm. when I joined NSA, I, I found a mentor. His name was Phil Wexler, still around, just had his birthday the other day, same as mine. I recommended him for some speeches and he said he was gonna send me a commission. And he owed me quite a bit of money. It isn't like he owed me money, but he would have paid me that money. But I said, before you write the check and send it to me, would you keep it? But I want a day of your time. Hmm. I flew out to San Diego. I spent an entire day with him. And when I came back, I tripled my fee. I said, no more magic shows. And I became laser focused on just what I wanted to be hired to do. Now, could that have happened a year or two earlier? Sure. But it doesn't matter. I was doing pretty well anyway. I was booking 150 dates a year. Things were good. And I was making a thousand, twelve hundred bucks a speech. So I went up to thirty five hundred and never looked back. It was a little scary right away because I lost all of these clients that were used to paying me lower amounts of money. By the middle to three quarters of the end of the year, I was making a gross wise as much I'd made the following year. And of course, you know, now we're we're in that sequence. So it worked out real well. The point is that's what I did to get started today. It's, it's content marketing. I really think of myself more of a media company than I do a professional speaker. And I do have a business versus a practice. Now, the speaking is like a practice. If I don't speak, I'm not getting paid. But I've got trainers out there delivering my content. We've got influencer activity where I'm, I'm hired for several months to tweet, write articles. We've got all kinds of, I have seven different streams of income that help offset, you know, areas that might get hit hard by a pandemic or by an economic downturn. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, and I think it's just an interesting shift in general. Like you start out going, hey, I want to be a speaker and you, you and I have this in common. I think there's less and less people today. Maybe not. Maybe that's not right to say, but it's not like, oh, I want to be a speaker. Anyways, you and I started going, I want to be a speaker. And then it kind of has, it evolves to more of like, I'm not marketing myself as a speaker. I'm marketing my expertise of which I can deliver that to you in a variety of different mechanisms or mediums or, or outlets. Do you think that's a necessary evolution that, that happens? Or do you think there's power in just going, hey, if you want to be a speaker, just market yourself as a speaker. Go knock that down and just, you know, that's what you deliver. And that's, that's the only thing you do. So... A great question, and I think the answer really lies in what you want and where you are in your career. If you are an executive who worked as a high-level exec in a Fortune 100 company, and you're at about age 55 or 60 and ready to hang it up, whoever that executive is, he or she might say, I've had a lot of experience. People are willing to pay a lot for that. I'm done with the corporate world. I'm going to just go out, and this is kind of like my retirement career then it's okay to have that practice. And I'm totally cool with that. You may be in that world where you're, this is what you love more than anything. And I say, go for what you love. And if you can make a living at what you love and you actually have stability in it, great. What concerned me is that I, I know we're not invincible. So you always have to worry about, am I properly insured either, you know, through life insurance, health insurance, you know, business right. interruptions, insurance, that kind of thing. You also need to realize that, you know, you're not in control of, you know, a pandemic shut people down for a year. I know people that had to leave the speaking business because they never, I thought they were successful, but they didn't save anything. They weren't prepared for a downturn. Well, maybe they think, oh, how long could it last? Two or three months. I was kind of thinking we'd be back in March. I go, oh, we'll be back by September, right? I didn't realize it would be September, 2022. Right. 
or whatever it is, 21. But anyway, I digress. Where do you want to go? 9-11-2001 and when 9-11 hit. Yeah, 9-11-2001, yep. Yeah. So in December of that year, I'd already signed up to spend the weekend with Nito Cobain. We all know Nito in this art industry. He's a guru. And one of the exercises he had us do is an amusement park exercise. And he says, draw your business like it's an amusement park. Hmm. Now, I started in 1983. This is 17, 18 years later, right? My amusement park, I thought of it in terms of like six flags. There's that big stage, the main stage where they had that show. And then as you walked out, there's a gift shop, kind of like even going to a Disney, you know, going on the ride. And then you have the little gift shop. And then my amusement park had nothing else around it. <laughs> that was it, the parking lot. You know? But All then right. I looked to the guy next to me and he was drawing an attraction here in the corner and another one. I go, what is that? He goes, this is a mastermind group that I put together of my top clients. This over here is a membership group I created that has, you know, 500 members that are paying me X number of dollars a month. Uh, and he had these four or five attractions. And I looked to the guy next to me, same kind of thing. I went, okay, what are they doing? They're bulletproofing themselves from having this part of their business being wiped out because they have other areas. So I quickly pivoted, if you will. I hate that word because like you turn your back, but I was flexible. That's the word. I showed flexibility and then I said, I know what I'll do. I'm going to create a training program from my speaking. By that time, I'd written, oh, maybe two, three books. And so I went to a course designer. I found a freelancer. And for about 3000 bucks, maybe 3500 bucks, it wasn't much more than that. They wrote my training for a, a two-hour, half-day, full day and gave me ideas for multiple-day programs. And I, then I went out and did my first full-day training program. I hated it. It was like... I got to talk for a little bit, then I have to let them work, and then mm -hmm. I got to listen to a lot. You know, I'm that more of that keynoter. But the brilliant thing was I started hiring other people to deliver this content because it was written with the idea that a person could just pick up a facilitator guide, study it, and go do it if they knew what they were doing. And that started the second phase of my business because we were, in my mind, one terrorist attack away from the annihilation of being of going to a hotel to have a big meeting because nobody was going to put their salespeople on an airplane or send them to a hotel where you know somebody could detonate a bomb and wipe out their company. And I know that sounds morbid, but that was the way I was thinking. One terrorist attack away from the end of my business. But as a trainer, I could send trainers to their offices. They could have a training room and my people could train their people. And that's really what started the expansion of my business. What's right? It just depends what you want to do. But realize as you get into business, you know, Rory, ask me how many people I have working for me. How many people do you have working for you? About half of them. No. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, when you want to get into doing this, you start to hire other people. And you right. can hire freelancers, but you're still hiring a force. And you want to try to, you have to keep motivated. You have to have me. It's a totally different game. I enjoy that game. It's fun to me. So that's where I am today. We've evolved to, uh, I have seven uh, ways that I make money, speaking, sending out trainers, on-demand video-based training, selling books when they come out. By the way, new book coming out, I'll Be Back, How Ooh. to Get Your Customers to Come Back Again and Again. That's book sales, influencer role where companies now hire me just to have me tweet about them, write articles about them because I'm considered a thought leader in my space after all these years. Sponsorship, if you go to my YouTube channel, you might see a little ad sponsored by whoever the company is that's sponsoring me that month. And, mm -hmm. and we have them sponsor my blog, my YouTube channel, my podcast, et cetera, et cetera. And, and so we've got packages for that. 
Is that six? And then num oh, number seven is special projects. Like we'll do special video projects or consulting type projects for companies. It started really yeah, as speech. a speaker, uh, the yeah. speech. And then you expanded uh, and turned that expertise into something else. Wow. Well, I love that, Shep. I mean, this is this is super interesting. And I think powerful for anybody out there, you know, going, okay, how, how do you get started? Because to me, you know, you did this in 1983. You know, I would I would say for me, I did this really, I feel like between 2006 and like 2000 and maybe 12, 2013. And there's not that much difference. And there's not that much difference from today. It's like you got to find some people who need what you have, let them know you have it and then do a really good job delivering it. And like pretty much that's all there is. And then you just do it over and over again. <laughs> exactly. And then at some point you get other people to do it, to do that, right. to do yeah, all those same part, if you want to go that route. So it, I think it's, it's super encouraging. And um, yeah, I, I one, uh, where do you want people to go, Shep, if they want to connect with you or like l learn more of what you're up to? Sure. Go to hiking.com. Pretty easy. H-Y-K-E-N. There's lots of free resources you know, I give away pretty much everything I have. And from there, you can find my YouTube channel, but it's, you know, I have 600 videos on YouTube. People watch them, share them at meetings. My wow. goal is the more you give, the more you get. They come back and give you information, They're, you know, book you to, to share their information. Uh-huh. Well, and I'm, I'm curious to know, okay, so what is, we didn't really get into the customer experience stuff too, too much, um, but what would you say is one great customer service tip that personal brands could do immediately just to like whether it's love on their clients or love on their team or like when you go okay when i think of like all the speakers coaches consultants practices out there this is like a small business tip that you go oh my gosh like this is a you could just do this right away and it'll make a make a huge difference in your your experience so i'm going to give you three oh. uh, one is kind of strategic and this must always happen uh, one is a bigger project and one is something you can do right away. And I'll right. do them quickly. Recognize that every interaction that you have with a customer is an opportunity for them to form an impression about you. So mm. manage that interaction. It's called the moment of truth. I can go on and on about that one, but you get the ideas. You need to see what every interaction is. Now that's number one. Number two is how do you look for those interactions? Create a journey map of every interaction that your clients would have of you from the time they might see something in a website search on Google to get to your website, how they get to you, you know, do they reach out to you via email, phone, and the whole plot, the entire process all the way to where they book mm. you and then what happens after the booking or what happens where they buy you or after the sale. And so that's number two. And that journey Mac process is gonna take a while because you think you got it and then you're gonna find more and more and more. Every little tiny interaction counts. And number three, just return people's emails and phone calls immediately. And you'll see what a difference that makes. You could do that starting this moment. <laughs> uh huh. That's funny. That's a big one for AJ. She's super big on responsiveness. Just even you let them know, hey, I'll get to you. Like I saw your email. I'll get to it tomorrow. Yep. Like whatever. Yep. Yeah. You know, it's holiday weekend. I'll call you first thing Tuesday or Wednesday or whatever it is. Yep. Mm -hmm. Which is interesting because like, 
you know, I think of all the people we hire that are vendors, contractors for the house, for the business. And it's like the number one thing is like, are they staying in communication with us? So that's really great. Well, hiking.com, y'all, we'll put a link to that. You can follow him, get uh, lots of his depth of knowledge and expertise around the customer experience. You can see is super powerful. Shep, thanks for sharing what I think is probably the not so often shared story about how you got started in this career and uh, have built everything that you become, man. We wish you all the best. Thank you, sir. Great to be here. That's all we've got for this episode of the Influential Personal Brand Podcast. But here's some great news. One of the most valuable things you can do to help us and other new potential listeners to find our show is for you to both rate this show and leave a review. So as a special bonus for you, if you leave us a comment in iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen, take a screenshot of your review and email it to podcast at brandbuildersgroup.com. We will give you free lifetime access to 25 of our most popular interviews on video in your own private members-only area. So go right now, rate us, review us, and then send a screenshot of it into podcast at brandbuildersgroup.com. And we will get you set up with free lifetime access to our most popular video interviews all in one place. Also, please just share, share, share this podcast with anyone who you think might enjoy it. And until next time, remember that building a business isn't nearly as valuable as building a reputation.